Hopefully you're there in Genesis 23. And in Genesis 23 and 24, we see some of the best things that life has to offer. And we also have some of the roughest things that life has to offer. In chapter 23, we will see Abraham bearing his beloved wife, Sarah, after probably some 50, 60, maybe even 70 years of marriage. And he has to bury her, her going home to be with the Lord before him. And then in chapter 24, we will get to see a picture, an historical account of Isaac and Rebekah and what led up to their marriage. It's a very important chapter to me because this is one of the few times in all of Scripture where we will see a young man and young woman, how they lived, how they acted, what they were about before marriage and leading up until marriage. So it's very important for us to look at these two portions of scriptures. Let's start off in chapter 23, verse 1 through 4. It says, Now Sarah lived 127 years, and these were the years of the life of Sarah. Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is in Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And then Abraham rose from before his dead. He got up from Sarah's body and he spoke to the sons of Heth saying, I am a stranger and a sojourner among you. Give me a burial site among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Sarah is a very important woman in the whole entire Bible because she's the only woman in all of God's word that we get to see her age, her death, and her burial recorded within Scripture. If you would, we can turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. We've looked at this portion of Scripture on and off as we've been studying Genesis and looking at the life of Abraham. And Sarah is an incredible blessing to the body of believers and especially to you ladies. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 reads, Your adornment must not merely be external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. If we had time, we could also look in the book of Isaiah, and Sarah is spoken of in high standing for us as a body of believers. God's word, it points to Sarah being basically the mother to each and every woman who's a believer, who's living a life of faith, who's living a life of trust in the Lord, who is being obedient to scripture by being submissive to her own husband. In many ways, the word of God points to her as an example even more than Mary, the mother of Jesus. So she's very important for us to focus in on and look at in Scripture. Something else for us to look at back in Genesis 23, verse 2, is we see Abraham going through the mourning process of his bride. He went in to mourn for her and he went in to weep for her. And sometimes believers, they sort of are hard hearted. And when somebody's going through a death of a family member, of a loved one, they say, hey, stop crying. It's okay. We know where they're at. But all throughout scripture, we see people weeping and mourning when people pass away. Even Jesus Christ, when Lazarus is dead and he knows he's about to resurrect him. It says Jesus wept there for his friend, knowing that there was some separation there. Even when John the Baptist was put to death, man, there was a brokenness within our Lord and Savior. So for us to weep when someone who we love is passed to the next life, family, that's only natural. That's what should be expected. We're missing someone and we don't know the next time that we're going to get to see them. 
James Boyce, he says, to weep for a loved one is to show that we have been close, that the loss is keenly felt, that death is an enemy, and that sin has brought this sad punishment upon the human race. Every time I go through uh, the death of a loved one, I am reminded this was not God's original plan. This wasn't his original plan. This was not his original desire for us. But because of sin, because of our sin, the wages of sin is death. An important scripture for us is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And as believers, as human beings, we should mourn when people who we love go on to the next season of life. When, as Paul says, they're going on their cruise, departing into this next portion and next season of life. However, it should not wreck our lives or ruin our lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it reminds us that we have a blessed hope that if they're saved, they have a relationship with Jesus. And we're saved and we have a relationship with Jesus that we will see them once again. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we'll read verse 51 through 58. And Paul says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? And O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. That we will go through rough seasons in life. We will go through seasons where we're dealing with death and destruction. We need to be reminded of the statistics. Ten out of every ten people die, right? We got to be reminded of it. It is a natural process within our lives. Are we ready for it? As morbid as it may sound, are you excited for it? Are you excited to meet Jesus? Are you excited to meet, once again, the people who we love and we miss? And as we're going through those seasons, family, please mourn. Please go through that season. But afterwards, as verse 58 reminds us, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that our toil, knowing that our work in the Lord is not in vain. We must be about our Father's business. We go through heartache, we go through pain, but our lives do not end their family. We need to be an example to believers, even in the death of a loved one. As Abraham is here, back in Genesis chapter 23, we see him going through the mourning of his beloved bride. He's weeping, he's mourning. The language here is showing us that he's going through all the process of mourning, Probably the sackcloth and the ashes and everything that was involved. And then in verse 4, he turns to these men, these sons of Heth, and he tells them, I am a stranger and a sojourner among you. Give me a burial site among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. This is an incredible character trait of Abraham. He was living for the life to come. He was living for the life to come. This world, this present life, even the promises of this life, it was not the end goal for Abraham. The end goal was the next life, was eternity. That was his end goal. In Hebrews 11, verse 9 and 10, it says, By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, Fellow heirs of the same promise, for he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect 
and builder is God. Family, is that the world that we're looking for? Is that the world that we're living for? I pray, I hope you've been blessed, you've been able to go on a vacation. But I don't think anyone takes a U-Haul with them on their vacation, right? Do you? You take a U-Haul with you on vacation, you show up to the hotel and you start telling the movers, okay, bring out the sofa, bring out the family portrait. Here's the pictures of the grandkids. Let's mount them and hang them on the wall. This bathroom's outdated. Let's renew it. Let's redo it. Let's get the plans. How long are you staying here? Three days. But I got to put all this work in. I got to change things around. I need to invest so much in my short stay here in this hotel. That would be madness, right? That would be craziness. But so often that's how we treat this life. Our end goal is the money, is the power, is the notoriety. It's the pleasure. It is the flesh. But may that not be us. If we're here, you're saying, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm going to heaven when I die. May we live like Abraham. And thank the Lord, Abraham's not the only believer who lived in this world knowing that it was not his home. You could just write down these scriptures in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 23. Leviticus 25, 23. Moses says, for you are but aliens and sojourners with me. In 1 Chronicles 29, verse 15, David would say, For we are sojourners before you and tenants as all our fathers were. 1 Chronicles 29, 15. Psalm 39, verse 15, David would once again, a sojourner like all my fathers. Just passing through, this world is not my home. And finally, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Peter would urge us as believers, he would urge the church that he was writing to, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. May we be focused, this world is not my home. This flesh, this body, this life, this is not my home. We have all of eternity to come. These 60 years, these 80 years, these 100 years, imagine replacing them with eternity, with forever. It's going to seem like a vapor, as the Bible would tell us, as smoke, right? You can think of little kids with bubbles. What is it with little kids and bubbles? What is it with adults and bubbles, right? You look at the bubble and it's just incredible, right? That's how life is. It's just a bubble. It's beautiful. It's floating. It has all these colors. And then pop. That's it. And then our lives really begin. So may we be living for eternity, for our true lives, for the rest of our life and the world to come. We continue back in Genesis 23. Again, Abraham says, I am a stranger and sojourner among you, even though this is the promised land. This is the land that God promise to him he said give me a burial site among you that i may bury my dead out of my sight the sons of heth answered abraham saying to him hear us my lord you are a mighty prince among us bury your dead in the choices of our graves and none of us will refuse you his grave for burying your dead so abraham rose and bowed to the people of the land the sons of heth and he spoke with them saying if it is your wish for me to bury my dead out of my sight. Hear me and approach Ephron, the son of Zohar, for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns, which is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence for a burial site. Now Ephron was sitting among the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the sons of Heth. Even of all who went in at the gate of the city saying, No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it. In the presence of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. And Abraham bowed before the people of the land. And he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land saying, If you will only please listen to me, I will give you the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. And then Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, My Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between me and you? So bury your dead. And Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out 
for Ephron the silver which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, commercial standard. Abraham shows humility throughout this whole process, throughout this whole business transaction. He's not saying, hey, this is my land. This is my promised land. God gave me this land. Get out of my way. Give me the deed. Abraham, he doesn't take a promise where he has to owe Ephron a favor later on, but he's willing to pay the full price for this property, for this land. A couple things to look at here. Again, Abraham, he wasn't a jerk to them. He didn't say, that's my land. I own it. Give it to me. Abraham was a gentleman, bowing down, giving respect to the authority, to them who own the property. Adam Clark, he says, they who under the sanction of religion trample under the foot of decent forms of civil respect, supposing that because they are religious, they have a right to be rude, totally mistake the spirit of Christianity. Again, family, if we're reviled, may it be because of our love for the Lord. May we not be reviled because we're a jerk or because we're rude or because we're sarcastic. There's a great difference. Right? There's a great difference. Man, Zach, you got to pray for me at work. Nobody likes me because I'm a Christian. No, nobody likes you because you're lazy and you're mean. And that's why nobody likes you, right? <laughs> may it truly be because of the Lord. May we show humility to other people. And may we not work with people owing them favors and being in a rough place. Right? Abraham, right away, he goes, no, I'm not doing you any favors. You don't owe me any favors. I'm going to pay the full price of the land. Even though it's my promised land, I'm going to pay the full price of the land. Finally, this is the only piece of property that Abraham would ever own. The only piece of property he would ever own. Again, cementing that in his heart and in his mind, this world was not his home. He dwelled in tents. His entire life within the promised land, he lived simply in tents. Verse 17 through 20, it says, So Ephron's field, which was in Machpelah, which faced Mamre, the field and cave which was in it, and all the trees which were in the field that were within all the confines of its border, were deeded over to Abraham for a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth. Before all who went in at the gate of his city, after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, facing Mamre, that is in Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded over to Abraham for a burial site by the sons of Heth. One time it says, we deeded over to Abraham for a possession. Abraham wasn't messing around. He wanted the deed. He wanted to pay for it. And this is another picture for us that the life of a believer is a continual death march. The only land that Abraham would ever own was the burial site for his wife, the burial site for himself, the burial site for his family. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, Jesus tells us, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. We had Wes Bentley from Far Reaching Ministries come and he gave us an update about all that's happening in South Sudan and Africa. And then we got this, it was a tough video, but it was so encouraging and so convicting at the same time, of a church in the Middle East and they were beginning their first building project. Right? Their first building project. I don't know if you guys remember what the first building project was. It was a cemetery for the church. That was their first building project because there was so much hatred going on there for believers that they were being put to death. But they prayed and they said, Lord, if your will for us is to pass away and be martyrs, better to be in your will dead than to be out of your will and alive. That's a great picture for us, family. They were willing to sacrifice their lives for the Lord. Many Christians all around the world are willing to give this sacrifice to Christ. May we be doing it. May we be that living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. Each and every day, it's, Lord, what would you have me to do? Lord, you want me to be a better worker? Lord, I'll be a better worker. 
Lord, you want me to be a better boss? Lord, I'll be a better boss. You want me to love my spouse? Lord, I will love my spouse. Whatever it takes, God, I want to be obedient and pleasing to you. In this burial site, Sarah would be buried. Later, Isaac and Ishmael would bury Abraham. Isaac and Rebekah would be married here. Jacob and Leah would be buried here. All in this cave of Machpelah near Hebron. And this is the great tomb of the patriarchs. The great tomb of the fathers. And in a sense, mothers of the faith. If you get to go to Israel, sometimes we get to see a tomb of a family. And it's literally a cave you go down into. And it's almost like bunk beds everywhere. Except it's where dead people lay down, right? And you have the whole family, and that's where they would place everybody all together at once, being buried all together. Now we go to Genesis chapter 24, and we see how the Lord will bring together Isaac and Rebekah. And there's a lot of things we can pull from this portion of Scripture. Again, as I said earlier, this is one of the few times where we see a single man and a single woman before they're married and leading up into marriage. What does it look like? How should he be acting? How should she be acting? What should they be doing? It's also a great picture for us of Jesus, right? The son of God, the son of his master, Isaac and Jesus, if you remember last week. And the Holy Spirit preparing the bride to one day meet Jesus. Another great picture for that. So much we can pull from here. Genesis 24, let's begin reading. Now Abraham was old and advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household who had charge of all that he owned, please place your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, and the God of earth that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I live. But you will go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, suppose the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to the land from where you came? Then Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord... The God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, and who spoke to me and who swore to me, saying, To your descendants I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this my oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning the matter. few things for us to look at here. First and foremost, placing the hand under the thigh. In this time period, that was the best pinky promise that you could ever give. That's basically what it was. As Some people today, their word just simply isn't their word. So they say, hey, swear to me or swear to God or swear on your mother's grave. That's basically what Abraham is bringing to his servant. This servant, we believe it's Eleazar from chapter 15, verse 2. The man whom before Isaac was born, he said, Lord, may Eleazar be the heir to my house since he's, man, he's my chief servant. He's the most important person that serves me here. But he makes him promise, hey, in front of God, in front of the master of heaven and earth, don't take my son back to where I came from. And don't get a wife for my son from the Canaanites. And family had never seen this so repeated before looking at this portion of scripture. He repeats it three times. Don't take my son back there. Don't take my son back from where I came from. Don't take my son back to the land of the Canaanites. Keep my son in the promised land. Keep him here in the promised land. What's the other thing he repeats over and over again? Do not take a wife for my son from the Canaanites. You will not take a wife for my son from the Canaanites, from the people of this land. This is so important to Abraham and family. We need to take this as seriously as Abraham did. As parents, even as single people, May we never go back to where we came from. 
May we never allow our kids to go back from where we came from. If you're here and you're a parent and you've been saved, the Lord has transformed your life. He's radically changed your life. How dare we allow our kids to go back to our prodigal living? And again, we can't run their lives. We can't own their lives. But as long as they're under your house and you're paying the bills, you're paying the rent, you're paying the groceries, you're keeping them alive. And you're allowing them to go back to where you came from? You're allowing them to go back to the place where God pulled you out of? We can't allow that. We need to stand firm like Abraham saying, you will not go back there. You cannot go back there. Even as the Lord had the prodigal son, if you want to go back there, hey, that's on your own. You've seen different in me. You've seen me change. You've seen me renewed. But if you want to go back there, that's on you. Secondly, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, let's turn there. It's in a very important portion of scripture for us as believers. Because there's a balance that we need to have living in this life that's filled with sinners. That's filled with unbelievers as we once were. Yet we need to be careful. Hey, what's my mission here? What is the line that I need to tow where I'm being gracious yet I'm standing for righteousness? 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14 it tells us do not be bound together with unbelievers or do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness or what harmony has Christ with Belial or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever or what agreement has the temple of God with idols for we are the temple of the living God Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty." Family, if you're here and you're not married yet, we cannot be looking to unbelievers to fill that void, that important decision in our lives. It is just not biblical. The Bible says we should not be doing that. We should not be looking to marry unbelievers just as Abraham said it three times. He would rather his son, in a sense, be single than marrying one of the people from the land in which he was living And the same is true for us. Do not settle, family. We need to stand true to God and to his word. And look at the promise that he has for us, right? Verse 16 and 17 and 18. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Because of this, I command you, I ask of you, you need to be separate from them. You need to be separate from the unbelievers. You need to not touch what is unclean. And if you do this... I will welcome you. I will be a father to you. I will adopt you as my own sons and my own daughters. Family, it's worth it. It's worth it to stay pure. It's worth it to wait on the Lord. May we take it as seriously as Abraham did. And we need to pray because there's a line here. When it comes to romantic relationships, we need to pray when it comes to our friendships. How close do we get to unbelievers? We need to pray when it comes to business ventures. Do I really want to start a business with an unbeliever? So when tax season comes, we have two different accountants, right? We have two different sets of numbers when it's time for taxes or whatever business practice you may have. What this is not saying is, oh my goodness, I cannot own anything that was made by an unbeliever. I go to Publix, hey, cashier number 9, are you saved? Cashier number 10, are you saved? Cashier number 11, you're Catholic? Okay, I'll come into this line, right? That's not what it's saying here. We need to be careful. We need to be in this world, but not of it. And when we're in this world, we need to be mission-minded. We need to be sharing the gospel of Jesus. We need to be sharing the good news that Christ has for us. But as far as being single and looking for a spouse... An unbeliever shouldn't even be a thought. There's no mention in the word of missionary dating, right? 
Oh, Lord, through our dating, through our relationship, I will save his soul for you, right? We don't see that in Scripture. So may we be yoked together with believers, and may we wait on the Lord. We go back to verse 10, and what we will see here is Isaac and Rebekah, in a sense, they're not super thirsty looking for this. Their lives are not driven by looking for this, but they are waiting on the Lord. They are, however, about their father's business. They're not just laying at home waiting for God to bring Mr. and Mrs. Wright. No, they are about their father's business. Verse 10, Genesis chapter 24. Then the servant took ten camels from the camels of his master and set out with a variety of good things of his master's in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. This is a 500-mile journey that Abraham is sending his top servant on. This is how important it was for his son to marry someone from the family of God and for his son not to go back to the place where he used to be. Verse 11, he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time and the time when women will go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be that the girl to whom I say, Please let down your jar so that I may drink, and who answers, drink, and I will water your camels also. May she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac, and by this I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. You see, family, this servant, or Eliezer, he has a plan, and he's bathing that plan in prayer, right? He has ten camels. Yet he stations himself at one of the wells during the time that all the women would be passing by. He doesn't pray this prayer in the desert. He's not lying down in the desert where there's no one around him saying, Lord, drop down a woman from heaven, right? That's not his prayer. He has a plan. He has action, but it's bathed in prayer. Faith, it takes action. And we know without faith, it is impossible to please the Lord. And again, what we're going to continue to see is Eliezer is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Rebecca, man, she's just being obedient to the Lord. And we're going to see the character traits she has. Isaac, he's being obedient to the Lord. We're going to see the character traits he has. But it's the Holy Spirit who brings the two together. It's not the work of men. It's not the work of Awalita, the matchmaker, right? It's not even the work of Tinder or Facebook or anything else. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. But Eliezer, he is a man of action. He is a man of plans, but he bathes it in prayer. And the prayer he prays is, is not impossible, but it's kind of crazy. You guys remember how many camels he had? He had 10 camels. Do you know how much a camel drinks after a 500-mile journey? A lot. Each camel can drink anywhere from 20 to 25 gallons of water. So he's saying, Lord, not only can I ask a random stranger, hey, give me a cup to drink. And then after of her own accord, she's going to say, hey, let me go ahead and fetch you another 200, 250 gallons of water for your animals. Right? He's laying the fleece out there, but he is a man of action bathing it in prayer. Verse 15, before he had even finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with her jar on her shoulder, and the girl was very beautiful, a virgin, and no man had relations with her. And she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. And then the servant ran to meet her and said, please, let me drink a little water from your jar. And she said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. And now when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw. And she drew for all his camels. And meanwhile, the man was gazing at her in silence to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. 
Again, we need to be reminded, Eliezer, he didn't pray, Lord, may she be a 10 out of 10. May she be dropped that gorgeous. May she look like that violin. May she look like that hours. No, it was all about her character. It was all about what was in the inside. Right? Pastor Raz always reminds us, gravity always wins, right? Gravity always wins. The Bible tells us, hey, beauty, it's, it's fleeting. It, it disappears. It goes away. But a woman who loves the Lord, a woman who fears the Lord, men, that's what we should want. That's what we should be praying for. Eliezer, he continues to be a man of faith and a man of action. He sees Rebecca, and now he doesn't just wait there and say, okay, Lord, now bring her to me. No, right? He gets up, and he runs to her. He runs to her, and now he asks that question. Many times we pray, and we ask the Lord, and he answers our prayer, and then we say, Lord, are you really answering my prayer? Right? Are you really doing this? Are you sure this is you? It's that joke slash story, right? That man is drowning in the ocean and he prays, Lord, save me. The first guy comes on a boat, throws a lifeline to him. No, 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 Lord, I need you to save me. The guy goes away, right? Another boat comes by, grabs him, tries to pick him up. No, 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 I'm praying for God to save me. Right? Finally, a dolphin comes and tries to push him along the way back. And No, 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 I'm waiting for the Lord to save me. And then he dies. He gets to heaven. Lord, why didn't you save me? I sent three people your way to save you, man. That's exactly what I did, but you would not take it. When we pray, know that our God, he's supernatural, but he's also supernatural. It's very natural. It's very common. And maybe you're here and you say you're single, and man, I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to find a godly person. Are you hanging out with godly people? Are you hanging out with godly people of the opposite sex and groups? Because if you're only hanging out with dudes, we know that's not biblical, right? And if you're only hanging out with the girls, we also know that's not biblical. So do you serve at church so that you can see people's character? Do you come to church? Do you go to young adults? Do you go to the picnics and different activities? Not just to pick a spouse, but to be available, to bathe it in prayer and say, Lord, if you're willing, I'm ready. But what we see is Rebecca, she was humble. She was hospitable. She was a hard worker. And she came from a godly heritage. And man, this is what we should be desiring. Ladies, this is what you should be desiring is that you're humble, hospitable, and hardworking. And the beautiful thing is for each of us, we get to have that godly heritage one-on-one in our relationship with the Lord. Right away when Eliezer talks to her and asks her for a cup of water, she doesn't give him a stank look. Right? She doesn't say, who in the world are you to ask me for a cup of water? Get it yourself. Do it yourself. No, man. She's humble. She's hospitable. She works hard. And she comes from the family of God, from Abraham's family, which we're about to see. And the servant allows her to go through it, to go through the whole process of serving. Right? Many times people say, I'm willing to serve anywhere. Hey, I'll clean the bathrooms. I'll do whatever you need. And you call them, hey, something's coming up at church and we need someone to clean the bathrooms. I'm a little busy right now, you know, maybe later, maybe the next. This isn't the season God is calling me to right now, right? We need to actually serve. And he was waiting to actually see her character played out. Verse 22, when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her wrist weighing 10 shekels in gold and said, whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room for us to lodge in your father's house? And she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. And again she said to him, we have plenty of both straw and feed and room for you to lodge in. And then the man bowed low and worshipped the Lord. And he said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness And his truth towards my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. The Lord appreciates action that is bathed in prayer. And people who are open to moving and the guiding of the Lord. It takes faith to please him. We know God's word warns us without faith, it is impossible to please God. And many times, faith, it's something that is in action. It's something that is moving. We need to step out in faith and be consistent so often before the Lord can begin to move us and grab a hold of us. 
Maybe you've heard that saying, it's easier to move a moving object and point it in the right direction than having to move something from a standstill, right? If you've ever had to push a car that's broken down, it's way easier once that thing is rolling to keep it rolling and to steer than trying to push it from the dead stop. Family, the same is true for us. If we're not serving the Lord, if we're not doing anything for God, if you're there just laying on your mattress at home saying, God, will you save me? And you got to be in action. you got to be about your father's business. you got to be looking to please the Lord even in the mundane, right? It was just another day for Rebecca, another day of getting water for her and her family. She was just being obedient. She was being who she was. And little did she know, her whole life was about to change. All of a sudden, he pulls out the 20 shekels of weight of two gold bracelets, a huge golden ring. And yeah, if he started off with that, every girl would have been down to get the water and get the camels and do whatever's needed. But she had the right heart even from the beginning. Verse 28, then the girl ran. She goes first and tells her mother's household about these things, right? She has a relationship with her parents. And now Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. And Laban ran outside to the man at the spring. And when he saw the ring... And the bracelets on his sister's wrists. And when he heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, saying, This is what the man said to me. He went to the man. And behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. And he said, Come in, blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside since I have prepared the house and a place for the camels? You see, family, Laban, he's a type of the carnal Christian. He's a type of the carnal Christian whose focus is only on sight, whose focus is only on what he can gain from this world. His sight is not on how spiritual Eliezer was or Isaac was. His sight wasn't on their heritage or where they came from. His sight was, oh, honey, he's a doctor? This is God. This is God. This is the man for you, right? Oh, honey, he makes how much? Oh, this is the one for you, right? And parents, we have to be careful with this. The man, he does need to have a work ethic. He does need to be a hard worker. But far greater for him to have a good relationship with the Lord than to have good benefits and a great job. Far greater for him to love the Lord and have a hard work ethic, working the best he can to provide for his home, than for him to have all the money in the world and barely ever attend church. May we get those things right in our lives. When he saw the gold, When he saw all the money, when he saw the camels, he ran. He moves in on Eliezer and on the conversation, even though Rebecca's father is still alive. In verse 50, we're going to see her father there, and he's the one interceding, trying to see, hey, what can I get? What can I gain? Family, we need to be so careful when we walk into church, when we walk into a relationship, when we walk into a party and we say, what can I get? What can I gain? These people have the gold bracelets. Oh, yeah, that's the people who I'm going to hang out with. Oh, they're just some missionaries. They don't have much money. Another season. The Lord's calling me to a different ministry, right? May we be careful with our heart and what we're seeking. Now, Eliezer, he comes. We're going to read verse 32 through 49. He's basically giving an account of all that God has done. So the man entered the house, and then Laban unloaded the camels, and he gave straw and feed to the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. But when the food was set before him to eat, he said, I will not eat until I have told my business. And he said, speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master so that he has become rich And he has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and servants and maids and camels and donkeys. And now Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master in her old age. And he has given him all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live. But you shall go to my father's house and to my relatives and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, suppose the woman does not follow me. And he said, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you to make your journey successful. And you will take a wife for my son, from my relatives and from my father's house. And then you will be free from my oath when you come to my relatives. And if they do not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. 
So I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you will make my journey on which I go successful, behold, I am standing by the spring. And may it be that the maiden who comes out to draw and to whom I say, please let me drink a little water from your jar. And she will say to me, you drink and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder and she went down to the spring and she drew. And I said to her, please let me drink. She quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, drink and I will water your camels also. So I drank and she watered the camels also. Then I asked her and said, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. And I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrist. And I bowed low and worshipped the Lord. And blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has guided me in the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. So now, if you are going to deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, let me know that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. few things for us to look at here. The moment that Eliezer's prayer is answered, he worships the Lord. The moment his prayer is answered, he bows down and he worships the Lord. And family, many times we forget how often God answers our prayers. And we just go on to the next thing on our to-do list, right? Santa, this is the next thing that I want on my list. Lord, will you do this? Lord, why aren't you doing this? Family, may we stop, and each time the Lord answers one of our prayers, may we worship him. May we tell others. May we be constantly asking the Lord to answer our prayers. And if he answers any small prayer, man, glorify him. He opens up that parking spot for you at Publix, man, glorify him. Thank him for doing that, whatever it may be. The next thing here is Eliezer, even though he has gone on a 500-mile journey away from his master and away from his home, Perhaps this is the first home-cooked meal that he's going to get in a long time. He says, stop. I must be about my master's business. Stop. I don't want to eat. I have to tell you why I'm here. He is about his master's interests. He doesn't put his interests first. He puts those to the side, and he says, Lord, what would you have me to do? Eliezer, he's a type of the Holy Spirit. Chuck Smith says, throughout the story, Eliezer is a selfless individual speaking more of Abraham and Isaac than of himself. Just as the Holy Spirit glorifies the Father and the Son without drawing attention to himself. And family, we should be the same. Who are we giving the glory and the honor to? Someone tells you, great job in the sermon, great job in serving, great job in this. Oh, thank you. Right? I worked real hard on it. Yes, I know I'm amazing, right? What, how do you answer back? Or do you give the glory to the Lord? Do you give the glory to the Lord? When you get to a place, are you saying, Lord, would you give me a chance to share the gospel? Lord, would you give me a chance to pray for someone who's hurting? Or is it just all about ourselves, right? That's what I struggle with. I think each of us struggle with that, right? We go to a party. Eh, I'm not comfortable there. I don't want to go there. I go to this church activity. I'm comfortable with those people. So I'm only going to hang out with those people. no. Let us be about our father's business. Verse 50 through 53, then Laban and Bethel replied, the matter comes from the Lord, so we cannot speak to you, bad or good. Here is Rebekah before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. And when Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the ground before the Lord. The servant brought out articles of silver and articles of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. Abraham, Isaac, Eliezer, they are able to pay the dowry for Rebekah. They're able to do it. They're able to afford it. They have the work ethic. They've had the blessing of the Lord. We also see that there's no delay in their marriage. They're both ready. They're both right with the Lord. They're financially set, so they're ready to move on to the next season of their lives. Family, we got to be careful like the world. You can't get married young. You got to wait. You got to wait till everything's perfect. Till you have the three-car garage, till you have your PhD, till you have everything. You've gone on all the vacations. You've got all the money. Then you can get married. Got to be careful with that. 
Better to struggle and be married and grow up struggling, getting to know each other struggling, and everything be good, than to just come to each other when everything is perfect. Because then when hard times come, not going to know what to do because you haven't gone through them before. Verse 54, then he and the men who were with him, they ate, they drank, they spent the night. And when they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, let the girl stay with us a few days, say 10, and afterward she may go. He said to them, do not delay me. Since the Lord has prospered my way, send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, we will call the girl and we'll consult her wishes. And then they called Rebekah and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. And thus they sent away their sister Rebekah and her nurse with Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, may you, our sister, become thousands of ten thousands. And may your descendants possess the gate of those who hate them. Then Rebekah arose with her maids, and they mounted the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. Lots of great things for us to see here. First and foremost, Eliezer continued to want to be about his master's business, and he wanted to be quick to obey his master's business. He did not want to stall. He did not want to delay. Yet Laban and his family, the carnal Christian, wanted them to delay in their service and worship and obedience to the Lord. Donald Barnhouse, he says, if the world does not succeed in persuading the believer to abide in the world, it will seek to delay his exit. When you decide to go with the Lord, the world will applaud your devotion, but they will say, don't rush. Abide a few days, at least 10, and then go. Family, may we be like Rebecca. May we be ready to meet our Lord, whether it's in this life or in the next. May we be ready to obey the Lord, whether it's in this life or in the next. And parents, Who's the most important person in your kids' lives? While they're young, while they're little, yeah, it's us. It's dad and mom. Not even then, right? Who's the most important person in their lives? It's the Lord. It's their relationship with God. Because he has just loaned them to us for those years, those 18 years. If they keep us in their lives after that, man, the Lord has kept us in their lives. But the Lord, he talks about them as arrows, right? Arrows in the quiver. And the job of a parent is to sharpen them so that they're ready that you can send them out and let them go. And that's our role as parents is not to keep them around forever. Eliezer didn't bring the whole family with him down to Isaac, right? It was Rebecca. And she was quick to obey. And sadly, there's sometimes when young men, young women, they want to seek the Lord. They want to obey the Lord But the parents say, hey, just stay here. Just wait with me for a while. Hey, mom, hey, dad, I want to go to Dulos. You want to leave me for a week? Do you hate me or something, right? No, I don't hate you. I just want to serve the Lord. Hey, mom, hey, dad, God's putting it in my heart. I want to go on this mission trip. I want to go serve at this camp for a month. Do you hate me? Have I raised you wrong? No, I I just want to serve the Lord. I just want to seek the Lord. Family, when... Our family, when our friends truly want to seek the Lord, may we encourage them. May we encourage their steps of faith. Make sure that it truly is the Lord and not another emotion or another reason. But may we grow them in their walk and their relationship with the Lord. May we encourage people to take steps of faith and not just be the negative person who's always cutting them down. Or sadly, who's manipulating them. And that happens a whole lot within families, within churches. And we manipulate the people we love. Yet we hate it when people manipulate us. May we be Christ-like. May we be what the Bible commands us to be as father, as mother, as son, daughter, brother, family, everything. May we be obedient to the Lord. Sadly, we've seen it sometimes. Some kids, they have a hunger for the Lord. I want to go to youth group. Man, son, I'm tired. I don't want to take you on Friday nights. Later on, they grow up. They're in college. Man, why are they a prodigal? Why have they walked away from the Lord? Sometimes some husbands and wives, the husband wants to serve the Lord. He has a calling to be a pastor. Man, I don't want to share you. I don't want you to be at church all the time. A couple of years go by. Marriage ends in divorce. God, why did you allow this to happen? 
family, remember, God is God. He's the master. He's the Lord. I was reminded in the beginning of Genesis, the whole theme was who's the boss, right? Who's the boss? Dads, moms, who's the boss? Is it really the Lord or is it me, my comforts, my desires? May God be the boss when it's good and when it hurts. Listening to a teaching uh, on this, Damien Kyle said, the greatest enemy to foreign missions is children and parents. It's parents that stop their kids and say, you can't go. You're telling me you're going to give up all your life and be a missionary out there? What about X, Y, or Z? Why don't you wait around and stick around a little bit? Again, may our life, may our home not be here. May it be in the life to come. Verse 62. Now Isaac had come from going to Ber Lahai Roy, for he was living in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field towards evening, and he lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. So men, what was Isaac doing, waiting for his bride? He was meditating in the field. He was praying with the Lord. He had a relationship and friendship with God. Right? It doesn't say that he saw the camels first. He saw the camels. Was that a girl? Oh, man, let me pull out my Bible so she sees me, how spiritual and holy I am. Yes, I'm here at Young Adults. I come all the time. Nice to meet you. No, he was already in a relationship and walk with the Lord. He had a friendship with God. Men, may we be seeking out the Lord. May we not just be praying in the desert where we do nothing for God and say, God, bring me a wife as I'm sitting here spending 12 hours a day playing video games and doing nothing else. God, where's my wife? No, man, may we be about our Father's business. May we have that relationship with him. May we be seeking the Lord, right? Isaac, he was out here praying and seeking the Lord out in the wilderness. He wasn't actively looking for a wife. He wasn't on Tinder. He wasn't on Facebook. He wasn't doing speed dating. He was waiting on the Lord, seeking the Lord. What we see from Isaac and his character was that he was humble, he was hardworking, he honored his father, and he came from a godly heritage. Again, he was humble. Two chapters ago, we saw him being obedient to his 130-year-old dad that was about to put him to death. He didn't fight him. He didn't wrestle him. He said, Dad, if this is what you want, let's go for it. He was a man under authority. Ladies, that's what you should be looking for. If he answers to no one when your marriage goes rough, guess who he's going to go to for advice? No one. Because he's that lone ranger. Men, may we be humble. May we be hardworking. His dad gave him all the wood for the sacrifice to go up the mountain. He didn't him and haw. He didn't whine and complain. He honored his father and he came from a godly heritage. We continue reading. Verse 65. She said to the servant, who is that man? Right? That's, she's, that's what she said, right? She didn't say, don't tell me it's him. Right? She said, who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, he is my master. And then she took her veil and she covered herself. Sometimes Christians, I don't know if it's a bad perspective of the Lord, but they think marriage is like some eternal suffering that God has ordained. Right? This man has never said hi to me before. All of a sudden he says, God has said, I am the one for him. Maybe God wants me to just be in this eternal struggle for all of my marriage. Thus is not the case. Both ladies and both men. We see both of them were excited to meet each other. Both of them were going to see Isaac had a love for her. Marriage is not just a business partnership. No, there is a love that goes between the man and the woman just as Christ has a love for his church. Right away she took her veil and she covered herself and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done and then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and he took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her and thus Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Again, what do we see in Rebekah? Not only was she humble, hospitable, hardworking and came from a godly heritage but she was beautiful and she was holy. David Guzik says the covering with the veil, it signified chastity, modesty, and submission. This was how Rebecca wanted to meet her bridegroom. Again, men, if you're praying for a woman and she dresses questionably all the time, you get married and you say, honey, why are you always dressing questionably? You already know. That's just who she was. That's what you were looking for. You got what you were looking for. 
Lord, why does this guy always just waste time playing video games? He's never looking for a job. He's never working. How did you find him? Without a job, never working, always playing video games. So may we be looking for who God says, hey, this is what's good. This is what's right. Psalm 37, verse 3 through 7. You can write it down. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Matthew 6 verse 33 and 34. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Family, in short, be about your father's business. Cultivate faithfulness. Be working in the things of God, and he's going to give you the desires of your heart. It's so true of Isaac and of Rebecca. They were working hard. They were following the Lord, and God is the one who brought them together. May that be the same for us, whether it's a relationship, whether it's new seasons of life. May we not be just striving for these things that we want, but may we be striving for the Lord. May we be that holy bride that when Jesus comes back, we're holy, we're righteous, we're about our Father's business.